All right. So that's the last alpha. This is crazy. We've had a wild but awesome year. And so I know you guys have probably had a long week with the last week of classes. So we're going to start out with a game. Any cross-stitchers in the room? Like, who does cross-stitch? Everybody. Oh, my gosh. No. So if you don't know what cross-stitch is, it once was a craft that I admired. I thought I was going to be like this famous cross-stitcher, take it up as a hobby. So I bought all the stuff, and I have yet to make one cross-stitch thing. But if you aren't sure what it is, here's a beautiful example by the one and only Nicole Weirchok. Um, you can find her on Etsy, link in bio, swipe up. Just kidding. She doesn't have an Etsy, but she should because this is beautiful. So here's the front. You can throw that on the screen, too. That's the front version of that. So there's some mountains and some flowers. She has it even reflecting into the water, very detailed. But I want us to pay attention to the back of it for a second, and they're going to put that picture up. This is the back side of the cross stitch. And so if you maybe look at the back side, this one maybe you can kind of tell. But there are some parts that you're not quite sure maybe what it is from this perspective. You might not exactly know what is going on on the front. So the game that we're going to play is I'm going to show you guys the different pictures of the back perspective of a cross stitch, and you're going to have to guess what the work of art is on the front. So some of them you might get, but I'm just curious. All right, you know the first one. Apple, crown. You can play it, put the front perspective. It is a crown. I mean, I guess it could be an apple too, but... Um, okay, you go to the next one. A heart and a skull. A heart and... Insta yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, from perspective, we have a bird. We have a heart and the Instagram logo. I couldn't find, like, a good picture of that one, but that's what that is. All right, you go to the next one. Huh? I hear a lot of different things. All right, Twitter, <laughs> go to the next one. It's a fish, it's a whale, yes. All right, there's a couple more. Go to the next one. A horse. Starry night. All right, show us what it is. Some flowers, some leaves, some vines. All right, and here's the last one. Best of luck with that. <laughs> She's sure it's Starry Night. Any other guesses what what that could be? What? Ocean. All right, flip it over from perspective. I knew. <laughs> if you got that, then I don't know. Something else is going on. All right, so your perspective from the back. The back perspective was a little hard to read, right? A little unclear, a little more directionless, less detailed. But when you flipped it around, bam, you could tell exactly what was happening on the front, exactly what the artist was going for. You could tell that the artist actually had some purpose and direction for their piece. And your experience looking at the art was completely different when you saw it on the front side because it all depended on what side you're looking at. It all depended on your perspective because you experience your perspective. You will experience in this life your perspective. 
And so before we jump into what God wants to speak to us tonight, I'm going to pray really quick, short and sweet, but bow your heads with me. God, you're so good. We are so thankful for your word. God, we are so thankful for a book full of your promises, God, that speak so clearly to who you are and to who we are. God, tonight, your words are the highlight, and so um, we love you so much, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the last few weeks, we've been walking through a series called The Comeback Kid, and we've been talking about how God is the God of redemption. And just to refresh, because that was a few weeks ago we introduced the first one, so redemption is the action of being saved from sin or error or evil, and I also want us to refresh us on another variation of the redemption, which is redeem, which means to like kind of like compensate for the fault or bad aspects of something, to change for the better, to repair, restore. Those are all synonyms of the word redeem. And so we looked at the lives of Gomer and Hosea. We also looked at the life of David. And we saw each of them walk through some really difficult things and make some kind of oopsies, some big mistakes. But we also saw how God took those situations. And he turned them for the ultimate good of the kingdom of God because they had a comeback. And so last week, Bree did a phenomenal job. We looked at the life of Jesus, an example, as the best story of redemption. And so Jesus's comeback story, it gives us a new perspective on life. And he was the ultimate comeback kid because his horrible death is what redeemed us, is what saved us from eternal death, from separation from God. And the redemption brought us through Jesus Christ is what gives us a new perspective. Because now we get to have eternal life, we get to have victory over sin, and we get to have a close relationship with God, our Father. And that's a comeback. And so a new perspective will change everything. Like I said, he gave us, Jesus gave us a new perspective on life so we could have a new perspective on our everyday situations that we would have to walk through. And this is what allows each of us in this room to be able to have a comeback story too. So you are a comeback kid. Say it. I'm a comeback kid. I'm a comeback kid. And so after time, after time in scripture, we see God turning some really messed up situations into something good. Because that is the kind of God that we have an opportunity to follow. A God of redemption, the one who takes hopeless situations and turns them into comeback stories. The God that wants to shift your perspective so you can see the comeback. God wants to shift your perspective so you can see the comeback. So I want you guys to think, what is a hopeless situation that you're about to carry with you into your summer? Where does God need to shift your perspective so you can see the comeback? And I know the end of the semester is quickly approaching, but there are many of us in this room who are probably still in the middle of something right now. You are in the middle of a setback. And maybe things aren't turning out like you've planned or hoped or prayed or wished that they would. Maybe you're facing some uncertainty in an area of your life that just feels stuck, like mentally, physically, emotionally. Or maybe there is something happening in your life that just doesn't look good and just doesn't make any sense. Have you been there? Maybe you're there right now. You didn't get the job. Maybe you're experiencing financial hardship. Maybe you lost a friendship or relationship that you didn't see coming. 
Friends and family may have passed away or have gotten unexpectedly ill. Maybe you didn't get the grade or make the team or pass the class. We'll pray against that for finals. Maybe you've made a major mistake that now has cost you something big. Maybe your mental health has been a struggle just when you thought it was getting better. Maybe there's a family situation back home that is causing you some deep pain. Maybe you have no idea the direction your life is headed and you walk that stage in a little more than a week. Setbacks, they aren't always fun, but God wants to shift your perspective on your setbacks. Because God, he's going to take our setbacks, and he's going to graciously turn them into set-ups so we can have a comeback. He will take our setbacks, he will turn them into set-ups so we can have a comeback. How can that even be? How does that math, like, even shake out? I'm not good at math, so, but, but God's plan is always bigger than we know. God himself, the creator of this universe, the creator of you and me is always bigger than we think. We just saying that, God, you are bigger than I thought you were. Because God always sees, God always sees the other side of the cross stitch, right? He always sees from a different perspective and he wants to shift yours. And so I want to dive into the book of Ruth tonight. Um, looking at the lives of two women, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. So why are we looking at these stories in the Bible? We talked about Hosea and Gomer. We talked about David. Why are we turning to Scripture? Why are we looking at different people in the Bible? Why should we care? Because when we read the Word of God, when we read these accounts, we get to see God work in the lives of people who are just like you, who are just like me. Ordinary, imperfect people. And when we read the word of God, we get a bigger glimpse of God, like who he is and how he weaves our stories into something bigger than we could ever imagine. And it all depends on our perspective. So tonight we're going to take a look at three different perspectives on the same situation. So jumping in the Ruth, I'm going to summarize some of it. There's also going to be a little bit of scripture that you'll have on the screen so you guys will be able to follow along. But at the beginning of Ruth chapter 1, we see that the nation of Israel, they're experiencing a famine. And so Naomi and her husband, they flee Israel to the nation of Moab. And not too long after, Naomi's husband ends up dying. And that had some serious implications for a woman in her culture. Because back then, women, they couldn't own property. They couldn't own possessions. They had no authority or buying rights or power. And they had no one who would take care of their physical needs, like food and water and shelter. And they also didn't have anyone to, like, pay off any family debt that she they might have had. So if they lost a husband, like they were in deep trouble. But if a woman, if she had any sons, he could redeem the family from all that they had lost. But after her husband's death, Naomi lost both of her only sons. She was now a childless widow with no way of taking care of herself or her two surviving daughter-in-laws. I want to talk about some real suffering, some real, like, serious setbacks in somebody's life. And Naomi, she had a daughter-in-law named Ruth, and all they had now was each other. Their common thread that tied them together was gone. And I'm sure they were both thinking, like, what? Okay, what happens next? Like, nothing looks good right now. Like, this looks like a really, really big setback. So Naomi and Ruth, they choose to relocate back to their town of origin, Bethlehem. And that's going to come in to connect later on down the road. But we see in Ruth 1, 19 to 21, it says, so the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, 
The entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the God, for God has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and God has sent such tragedy upon me? She's a little salty. <laughs> She's not happy. So what Naomi sees her friends, and she goes, don't call me Naomi because that means pleasant. She says, call me Mara because that means bitter. She goes, I am really bitter right now. And if I was in Naomi's shoes, I probably would have felt the same way. From her perspective, she lost her husband, two kids. She had one of her daughter-in-laws return back to her original family. And there was no hope for a grandson to redeem their situation. There was no hope of provision for her and Ruth. There was a whole bunch of setbacks. And what these women really needed was a redeemer. And there was something back in that day called a guardian redeemer. And who the next, it was the next closest male relative who would volunteer to take care of the members of their extended family after, like, the main male head figure in that family passed away. So that guardian redeemer would step up and say, like, I will take care of paying off a family debt. I will make sure their physical needs are taken care of. I will work to keep the land and their possessions in the family. So they needed a guardian redeemer to save their situation. And from Naomi's perspective, she sees emptiness. She sees hopelessness. There is no guardian redeemer in sight. She had trouble seeing past her setbacks. And in her head, she knew God was good, but it was a weary truth that was in her heart. So Naomi, she was experiencing her perspective. And it's a perspective that I would, for the sake of tonight, I'm going to call it a shattered perspective. And we usually get shattered perspectives about situations in our lives when we can't see the whole picture, right? When we can't see all that God is doing. And we can be Naomi sometimes. We can have shattered perspectives. And maybe tonight you aren't experiencing bitterness over a situation like Naomi. I won't call you Mara. But maybe tonight you are experiencing another emotion that is shattering your perspective. Anger. Sadness, anxiety, doubt, fear, apathy, I just don't care, insecurity, jealousy, guilt, shame. Shattered perspectives can also be things like, well, it's always going to be this way. God has left me. You know what? I'm just going to give up. Those are shattered perspectives as well. And these things, they get in the way of seeing our comeback. They cloud our vision and our minds and our hearts. They focus on the things that don't give us a clear picture of who God is, the God that we see in Scripture. We don't get a clear picture of what he is doing. We see the backside of the cross stitch, the backside of the tapestry, like we played that game earlier. So I don't know if you've ever seen, this is just a small example, but if you've ever seen a huge, like, tapestry, and you've flipped it to the backside, it's a mess. It's like a hot mess express. There are different color threads that are weaved together. There are different textured fabric that is often like added into the mix and there are knots and there are loose ends and the string is just crisscrossed everywhere and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And if you look at the back of the tapestry, you might think like a child <laughs> like attempted to weave this piece of art rather than like a skilled artist. In the back of the tapestry, it lacks clarity and detail and direction. And our lives can be like that sometimes. 
situations can cause us to see there's a lack of clarity, there's a lack of detail, there's a lack of direction. And all we see are the messy parts, the situations that don't make sense, or the problems in our lives that, like, they bring us so much pain and heartache, or the circumstances that are out of our control. We see this side of the tapestry. We only see the backside. And sometimes we forget, like Naomi, that we see a, serve a God, we serve a creator, an artist that works from the front. He sees the front side. And we forget that because we are looking at life through shattered perspectives. They get in the way of seeing our setbacks as setups for a comeback. They get in the way of seeing our setbacks as setups for a comeback. So what situation are you carrying into your summer with a shattered perspective? What situation are you carrying into the summer with a shattered perspective? And then there was Ruth. And Ruth, she was experiencing deep pain as well. She lost her husband. She had no previous children to carry the family name to provide for her. But Ruth was more hopeful. And Naomi sends her other daughter-in-law, her name is Orpha, and she said, hey, go back home to your immediate family. Like, there's no point here for you to stick with me. And then Naomi, she tries to send Ruth on her way as well. But Ruth refuses to go in the middle of a setback. And we see in Ruth 1, 15 through 18, it says, look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods, and you should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Wow, talk about a commitment. She goes, Naomi, I will stay with you until you literally die. Like, where you go, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I will even follow your God of Israel, which is the God that we, right here in 2019, serve today. And I believe that Ruth was so committed to not abandon Naomi in the midst of a setback because she had a different perspective. She had a perspective of hope. And she had hope, even though Ruth couldn't see how any of this was going to shake out, but she was hopeful that God was weaving her comeback story. Ruth was experiencing her perspective, just like Naomi was experiencing hers. So sometimes we're Naomi, right? But we can be like Ruth. We can have hope in the midst of setbacks. We can have hope even when we can't see the finished side of the tapestry, the finished side of the artwork that God is creating in our lives. And I believe that Ruth had this hopeful, almost like kingdom-like perspective because she trusted in the God that she followed. That even in her waiting for her breakthrough or for her answer, she focused on him. And we see in the New Testament book of Colossians, we see the Apostle Paul. And an apostle is a messenger of God that he would hear from the Lord and he would share those messages with the people. The Apostle Paul, he writes to the church in Colossae. And we see that in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says, since you have been raised to new life in Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, 
and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Wow. So Paul was encouraging that church of Colossae, the other guardian redeemer first of that family. And I'm sure as hopeful as Ruth was, she had to be like, well, how long is that going to take? Like, when, like, how's this going to happen? Like, why can't we just do, like, why do we have to do it the right way? Like, you're here, let's get married, you're related, you can be the guardian redeemer. Like, I need the redemption, I need the comeback. Like, why do we have to follow the way that God set it up? I thought, God, I thought you were providing a comeback for me. Like, I'm a little confused, I'm a little frustrated, I'm a little hurt right now. I'm sure that was Ruth's, like, inner monologue going on. So we see in Ruth 3.13, it says, In the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But he, if he is not willing, then surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. So I just want to look at Boaz for a minute. I give this dude major props. He easily could have jumped in and saved the day to be Ruth and Naomi's prayer for redemption, to be the prayer for the comeback. But he says, if the Lord wills it, then I will do it. So Naomi had what? She had a shattered perspective. Ruth had a hopeful perspective. But Boaz, he took it one step further. He had a perspective of surrender. Boaz had a perspective of surrender he's like, God, you know what? I want this. Like, I, I want to marry Ruth, and I want to redeem her family. I want to be the guardian redeemer. I'll do it. But, God, I want your plan more. God, I want your purposes more. I surrender this setback to you. I want you to weave the story of my life, of Ruth's life, of Naomi's life. And if it's supposed to be weaved together, then so be it. Because, God, you see the comeback. You see the bigger picture of the comeback than I do. A perspective of surrender. Because sometimes the perspective of hope can only go so far because you can lose hope, right? Because if it's really not a Christ-centered hope, hope becomes an emotion. And when things change each and every day, listen, I wake up before on the Enneagram. I have 25 emotions in the matter of one hour. My emotions change all the time. So when you have, don't have the hope of scripture, your hope is an emotion, like not like a secure like identity. And so when we don't have a perspective of surrender, that's when we try to take things into our own hands. We start to scramble for answers and security. We start to scramble for something. Because if, like, if I have to wait for the comeback, if I have to wait here, this is stressful, then I better just go do it myself. I better just go do it myself. No, what did Boaz do? He goes, I will wait and rest in the setback. We sang about that too. Because I will rest in the Father's hands. I will leave the rest in the Father's hands. Because no one really enjoys waiting, right? We live in a culture of Amazon Prime and automatic Wi-Fi connection. We don't like to wait for things. So what situation are you carrying into the summer that needs a perspective of surrender? What comeback are you waiting for that you're trying to manufacture yourself? 
So what are we losing if we don't rest and wait in a step back? Because I can tell you that. But if I don't give you the why, then it's just like some rule that I'm saying. What would Ruth and Naomi and Boaz have lost if they didn't wait in the setback? They might have settled for a story that they wrote themselves instead of the one that God was writing for them. How much we trust God determines our perspective in the setback and how much we trust God determines our perspective while we wait on God to write our comeback stories. Because sometimes we end up settling for good stories, right? That's good enough. Like, if I just do, like, it's fine, like, subpar, but it's okay, it's good. And so sometimes we end up settling for a comeback we created ourselves, but it's not going to be able to be sustained. Like, it's not going to last. It's not going to be something that's eternal. Instead of waiting for God's very best comeback story for our situation. But still, but why? Because I think we're all, as humans, we're looking for love and joy and peace and security and identity. And we can't find those things outside of God. We can't find those things if we try to manufacture it ourselves. And there's that new trendy phrase, go live your best life. It's really entertaining. I love to see all the different pictures that is posted on. Usually it's avocado toast. You know what I'm saying? Living my best life. I live in my best life, like, didn't study for my test. And I was like, you're going to fail. That's not your best life. I don't know. Okay. But there's this phrase that says, live in your best life. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I really, I don't think I've ever seen live in your best life in Scripture. But probably scripturally means waiting on God to direct our comebacks. Waiting on God to direct our comebacks we don't create our own comebacks. We don't write our own stories because when we do, we're going to end up living a story that God never meant for us to live. And if we want the comeback, we have to be obedient to how it works. Just like Boaz, he waited on God. He did what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to ask the other guardian redeemer, hey, do you want to marry Ruth or should I marry Ruth? And yeah, that man ended up saying no, so maybe you're thinking, well, why did it even matter then? He was going to say no, and Boaz was going to marry her anyways. But because a perspective of surrender is what allows us to live our best life, to experience our best comebacks, to experience the best kingdom stories that God is writing for our lives. So we fast forward to the end of Ruth, and we see Ruth and Boaz, they get married. And here's the cool part. You see in scripture, there's like all this like genealogy, and I usually skip over that. So I'm like, there are a bunch of names that I cannot pronounce, and I don't understand how they're connected, and why do I have to read this? But it really made a difference this time at the end of Ruth chapter 4. The section just like that big, just a little bit, some names. But Ruth and Boaz, their marriage, further on down the line, from their relationship, from their family history, came Jesus. Because they let God write their stories, because they let God weave the tapestry of their lives, Jesus came directly from their bloodline. Come on. That situation, that a terrible story full of famine and death and more death and more waiting, something so terrible 
because of their obedience, because they said, God, I will do it your way. God, I surrender this. I will do it your way. They were part of the comeback that saved humanity, that saved you and me. The birth, the life, and the death of Jesus. And I thank God that Ruth and Boaz trusted God, that they had a perspective of surrender, because that is why you and I can live redeemed today. That is why you and I can have comeback situations in our own lives. I'm going to call the band back up. God is bigger than we think. God is bigger than we think. And I want to read Hebrews 12, 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. What situation do you have to have a perspective of surrender on? I don't know what you're in the middle of right now, what setback you might be facing. I don't know what you're going home to, what certainty that you might face when you leave campus next week. But I want us to leave here knowing that God is bigger than we think. God is bigger than we think. And sometimes, like, we're going to walk through life with a shattered perspective. And it's okay right now you're sitting in this seat and you're like, I got a lot of those. I have a lot of shattered perspectives. That's okay. That's okay. Because you can make a step. You can make a decision here tonight, like, okay, God, like, I'm going to surrender this situation to do, like, to you, like, hands off. I'm not good at that. I love to, like, manipulate situations. I'm, like, doing all this stuff, and God's like, just keep your hands off. Just stop, right? He's like, I know, like, I am bigger than you think. I see this. He's like, Allie, you just see this, and you're stressing the heck out, and he's like, I see the bigger picture. I see the front side of the tapestry. Will you trust me? Will you have hope? Will you live a life of surrender? Will you surrender this situation to me? And we've had a full year here at Chi Alpha. And I have no doubt that God has done something in your life this semester. Whether you've walked through these doors a million times or if you walked through these doors once. Like, we can't deny that God wants to do something in our lives. And as we head into summer, I just want to encourage all of you, like, don't lose that. The same God that you serve here. Maybe you met God on this campus. Maybe you met God in this room. Maybe you got saved here or baptized. The same God that is here, not in this room, but here, he's going to go with you this summer. Those of you who are graduating, he goes with you. This is not just like a one-time thing. This is a lifestyle. This is a lifetime thing. And tonight, we're just going to ask God, like, God, show me how big you are. Show me how big you are. If you have trouble believing it, if you are struggling with a shattered perspective and you need a perspective of hope or a perspective of surrender, we're going to ask God to give that to us tonight. As we leave these doors, as we head out into a summer full of unknowns and situations that you might not know, 
what's going to happen. You can trust God while you wait in the setback so he can use it as a setup so you can have a comeback. And so I'm going to have you guys stand with me, and I'm going to pray. We're going to sing that song bigger than I thought one more time. And I really hope that this time the words to that song mean something different than it did the first time. And so I'm going to clear this space up here, and I just want to encourage you, if you want to come up here and you want to kneel, do it. I don't want you to walk out of this room. Thank you, guys. I don't want you to walk out of this room with regrets tonight. So if you want to use this space up here, you can do that. We can fill this whole space. If you want to kneel in the back, if you want to stand in the back, whatever you want to do. We're going to say, God, show us how big you are. Show us that you have control of every setback in my life. And I'm trusting you that you're going to weave it into a comeback that is in your will, that is in your plan. So I'm going to pray into this song. And if you guys feel comfortable, I went to a church service and they did this. And I never saw this before. And it really just changed my perspective. And sometimes in worship, you see people hold their hands like this, like palms up. But I'm going to challenge us to do something different. You can hold both those out, but we're going to do palms down. And you're like, why? Because we can't pick up what the Lord has for us if we don't let go of the plans that we have for ourselves. So we can't pick up. We're like, God, show me how big you are. And sometimes we're not going to be able to understand if we don't let go of what the Lord, like what we have planned for our life. So I'm going to pray right now to worship with this, us in this posture. God, we love you so much. You are so good. You are so faithful. The God of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, God, you are that same God that we serve here today. God, we are so thankful for a full year of walking and loving and following and serving you, Jesus. God, I thank you for the small spiritual steps that each of us in this room have made this semester, God, and that you want to do more. God, you want to do more in our lives as we walk through into summer. God, maybe as we leave this university for the final time, God, there's always more of you that we can have. So God, we let go of our plans. We let go of the situations that we try to manipulate and we try to work on on our own. God, we surrender those to you. God, even tonight, if we have shattered perspectives about situations in our lives, God, I pray you just come along beside each and every one of us. God, you want to walk with us in the midst of our pain and frustration and confusion. God, you don't condemn us for that. But you said, hey, I want to shift your perspective. Will you let me shift your perspective? God, we love you. We trust you. God, you are bigger than we could ever think or imagine. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.